I'm Amy DeVroon and welcome to Year of the Selfie podcast. 2020 has been a mad year thus far, a year where we've really had to take a look at ourselves. As a self-help nut, this hasn't been hugely out of the ordinary for me, but what has been so unusual is watching an entire creative industry grind to a halt in front of my very eyes. The link between creativity and mental health has always fascinated me, so I wanted to go deeper. In a world where we so often equate success with fame, it can be easy to forget the reason behind it all. Creativity. This unique, inexplicable gift. The thing we do where we lose all sense of time. The thing that lifts our hearts even in the darkest of moments. The thing that many of us feel we were put on this earth to do. So every week, I'm going to talk to my guests about just that. Their creativity their highs and lows, and where they find their creativity when it feels like there's nowhere to put it. On today's podcast, we have none other than Irish producer and all-round wonder woman, Catherine Kennedy. She is such a lovely soul, and I think you're going to get a lot from this. So get comfy and enjoy. Okay, so Catherine Kennedy, welcome to Year of the Selfie podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Hello. You're, you're, you're so welcome to be here. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm flattered. <laughs> no, I wanted to have you on for many reasons um, because we've known each other a long time, but uh, motherhood has gotten in the way of both of us, I think. So we haven't had a chat. So this yeah. is a good excuse for a chat. It's yeah. always nice. Yeah. Um, and also just, I'm a huge, uh, I'm a huge fan of yours. Um, just with kind of, so for anyone who doesn't know, Catherine, you actually, yeah, you uh, produced my, my short film that I wrote after. And that was kind of when you had started your production company, Kennedy yeah. Films. Yeah. And yeah, so the, and there's loads to get into there because I'm actually met, oh no, and I, and I first met you on an ad where I first met my, my now husband. And we nearly died in a car. Yes. Yeah. And, it, and it was me yeah. driving. Yeah. <laughs> I picked you up. Uh, yeah, I picked Catherine up at the, you were like, oh, I'll just show you into where the location is. And I was driving and then I just like drove across a Lewis track and I was like, sorry. <laughs> so that was a good, a good first meeting for sure. <laughs> Very memorable. It was great. It was good crack. <laughs> oh, it was brilliant. But also um, something else about Catherine is you've had a baby as well. Uh, the sec- your second child. Oh, she's there. Oh my God. How good. <laughs> oh my god um, and yeah a second child in, in lockdown so yes yeah first of all how was that so did, were, you, was yeah. it, were you actually in lockdown when you had Rose uh, yes um, okay. it was it was actually the week that the 70 year olds were all told they had to cocoon so oh my god it was kind of I live in Louds and we were having a baby in Dublin and um, so and I had a c-section so I was in hospital for five nights and my husband couldn't come in to see or the, the, my son couldn't come in to meet his sister oh. and then the night that we were leaving we were going to go to my parents in Dublin and just swing in and introduce them to the baby um but it was just at that moment that lockdown was or the 70 year olds were told to cocoon and my mother isn't 70 yet my father yeah. <laughs> she killed me for <laughs> that practice but my dad um is and so we, we could he couldn't meet or they couldn't meet their grandchild so oh my god yeah, it was, it and was, how was it? Because if you've had, because if it's your second, this is what I think about the, well, my experience of the first, and I know it's not everyone's experience, 
but it's this like, oh my God, on a, floating on a cloud, never known such joy. I know other people don't have that experience. Did you have that kind of first time round, and then with this second time round, like, how is that? Uh, the first time round was a total car crash for me. Oh, really? Okay. 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 <laughs> well, no, it wasn't. It was lovely, um, but it was tough. And um, what I really liked this time round, well, what was hard this time round was my partner wasn't allowed in for the whole yeah. pre-labor, which took me ages. I won't get into all the personal details of that, but yeah. Um, and so he was in a car in Hollis Street. He couldn't go to a cafe or anywhere mm. because it was all shut down. Um, uh, waiting, waiting to be told that he could come in, kind of thing. So that was a bit tough. Um, yeah. Primarily because I lost my phone charger and I forgot to bring <laughs> stuff with me to read, and so I had no music and all that. Oh my and, god! And all that kind of like yeah, little blue curtain box trying to get into proper labour. It was a bit like arduous. Um, yeah. But uh, the really nice thing about it was the quiet in the ward afterward. Now, if I if it was my yeah. first baby, there were times where I was. I really just wanted someone to hold the baby, but the midwives were really good. And they told her if it just got, if you just needed, I don't know, to go to the toilet or, you know, something like that. And you'd know when they're with you, it was daunting, but, and you're recovering, you know, um, but I really enjoyed the quiet. I thought that that was really nice because on Tommy, my first baby, I found the noise in the wards after having a baby was really hard to, you know, get sleep and, um, yeah coming in and you'd hear their whole life stories across the room and yeah. you know, you're just trying to get to know your baby whereas I have lots of lovely memories of myself and Rose Ellen on our own um, yeah. so that that's and then I went home to the madness of a toddler and lockdown <laughs> so, yeah. yeah and have you kept working throughout like did you because there's just no well I my, my experience again different but like no I had no maternity leave really you know like yeah, I was well, kind I mean, of it's it's hard for self-employed. I am on a maternity leave, yeah. um, but you know emails do come in, and you know there's certain things that you can't um, you can't miss. You know, like a finance market that would come up that you yeah. like. You know, if you miss that, then you're pushed out to the next one. And so there's there, but I am on a sort of a, a maternity leave, if you know what I mean. It's as much as any self-employed person can yeah. take. You know. And come here to me, how is it having two? I'm so intrigued. Like in terms of work, right? Because I'm like, I'm terrified. I'm like, oh God, if I, if I, if I have, a, if I ever have a second, I'm going to be like, oh God, you know, yeah. did, where, did you freak, did you freak out the first time about work when you were pregnant going like, I can do it all. Cause I definitely did that. Yeah. Like I think, um, I kind of just brought him everywhere with me. He was on 12 airplane flights in his first year of life, oh going to finance markets and stuff. And I mean, I, like generally, I think if you kind of say this is how I'm doing it, people people don't really... Um, I did get a few comments on a, on a, at a market from women mostly. Men never really said a word. They just got, yeah. got on with it. Um, uh, but it, generally women were are harder on you than than men in in a weird way but yeah. uh, overall i i found that because this is the way i was doing it people just accepted it and yeah know, he was great um but it was it is tough i'm not going to say it's a, it's plain sailing you know yeah. uh, bringing a baby to work and um and then you know where i live there wasn't much childcare for for children under the age of um 
two. I think it's all preschools around here. Oh, so yeah. there's not much uh, by way of like, so I had to drive a very a long distance to get him into crash when he turned one. And yeah. um, so, well, that was kind of tough, but I mean, everyone, everyone has it tough. I think as a parent, um, yeah. I think we're not set up. A parenting is, uh, I don't know, society isn't really set up to, to support parenting the way it should be. Mm. Um, you know, particularly when you're expected to go back to work after six months. And you sometimes just have to. Yeah. Um, but it's not very baby friendly or family friendly or parenting friendly. So I think we're, I think there's a long way to go. I don't know what the answers are, but, no. um, you know. Uh, um, but yeah, I did, I did feel as well like that I didn't really want a lot of people to know that I'd had a baby necessarily. Rose Allen is joining us here and the apps, oh my God, she's so cute. She's so cute. <laughs> oh my God, not a bother she'd sleep for this but no she's she's uh, no, she's here she's present <laughs> she's very good anyway i'll stop waffling oh no that's no no that's good with the women thing do you think it's something like letting this like people are like don't let the side down like we've come this far or something or like <laughs> i always wonder is it a bit of that like you know yeah kind of like you're like you're letting the side down i yeah maybe that's some wait, so, some women's thing what did i feel um I think that it's just like when I became a mom, I learned things about motherhood that I never would have known about if I hadn't gone through it. Yeah. And I think I got a lot, I, I learned a lot more empathy for women and for yes. women's situation than yeah. I would have done otherwise. So, yeah. I mean, people were making jokes like, oh, sure, he's half rare. He was only like five months old, you know, <laughs> or six months or something in Berlin film market. Why aren't you leaving him at home kind of thing? And he's yeah. so small and he's being breastfed. And I mean, so the alternative is that I bring a pump to this market and I have to run off to a toilet every, you know, yeah. hour and all that. So just bring the baby, have him sleep in the buggy and like get on with it, you know. Yeah. So, but a lot of people have, and another woman was saying, God, why would you bring a baby to such a busy place like this? And it's like, well, why would you bring a baby on a train or a bus? Yeah, or, or like to, to a shopping center. This weird level of judgment. I think society as a whole is quite hysterical about parents and mothers and yeah. places. And like babies are individuals as much as their parents are. And, you know, we all parent in a kind of custom made fashion to our own personalities and our own children. And yeah. you know, there's one size fits all that I think people expect of you, you know? Yeah, no, that's so true. The thing about um, uh, having more empathy for women, oh my God. Like, I had sisters and nieces and nephews, yeah. you know, but oh my God, when I had Billy, I just realized, oh my God, like such a different level of empathy and, and going, and going, no, we can't judge that person. Oh my God, no, we couldn't judge, you know, whereas before, before you have a child, sometimes you're like, if I'm on a plane and a child's screaming, I'm going, oh God. Yeah. Oh, my head. Whereas yeah, now yeah. I'm going, oh, the poor, oh, those poor people. Oh, like it's completely, completely different. Yeah, yeah. But I just want to go back as well to, so when, so what really struck my mind when I was thinking of creativity, mental health, all that, and why you came, why you came to mind um, <laughs> is when I was thinking about when you, just before you set up Kennedy Films, yeah. I remember because, yeah, I did know you at, the, at this point because I had met you on the commercial. I, think and I met you about 2011. Was that when you met Sean? Yeah. 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 And, then, and then at some point, you went away and, and went away to write for like, and then what's so interesting, I remember you were like, yeah, and then I re realized I'm not a writer. <laughs> Which I think is so refreshing. So I wanted, to, I wanted to just talk about that for a minute and see like, what... 
was, so what was the catalyst to make you take a break? Because you were, were you, were, were you producing commercials? I know you were working for Antidote, like, well, when I met you, but... I was kind of talk through where I started from and then how I got to there. Yeah. And then that... Well, Can you talk me through that? Because that's just so interesting in terms of kind of like where you were mentally, what the kind of catalyst was. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, and how you even came to admitting to yourself that, oh, no, maybe I'm not a writer in that capacity. Yeah. Well... Um, Maybe you are. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Where did I start from? Like I did film in college and I specialized in directing and yeah. I came out of college and I, my final year film was a total flop. It was a really hard experience and I learned loads on it, but it was, it was one of those ones that kind of shook me a little bit to go out into the film world and just get experience on sets yeah. to get a real handle on the dynamics and the way things work. And, you know, um, you know, if you're going to be a director and you're going to go out and direct a set of people who've been working in the business for 30 years, you, you should get to know how it works yeah. on the ground. So I did that for a number of years as, a, as an assistant director and really learned the ropes of how everything works. And then uh, kind of got into, I got, it was sort of at the stage where I was going to be a, a moving up from trainee assistant director to trainee assistant director to third assistant director. Yeah. And I just didn't want to do, have that sort of career trajectory. Because um, I was still thinking I wanted to be in a more creative role. So I went into a company called Image Now and started working um, in production there. And then I moved into Antidote after that. Uh, but in between, in between that company and Antidote, I went back to college and did a master's in screenwriting. So I left the production okay. managing job in, uh, in Image Now and went into the master's and then went into Antidote after that. And that's when I met you. Yeah. So, when I was in Antidote, it was sort of a case of um, I needed work to pay off student loan and to yeah. just kind of, you know, you take a year out and you're paying your, well, at the time I had a mortgage and I, um, yeah, just had bills to pay. And I enjoyed working with Andrew as well and, and Will. So, um, and you're now husband, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it got to a point where it was, again, that sort of thing of that choice of, do I want to be a commercials or a digital producer or do I want to really pursue this creative path that I went back to college to do a master's in because yeah. I loved the screenwriting masters. Um, and I went away for, actually it was only two weeks in the end. It felt at the time like I went away for an eternity. But was it, it was, only two weeks? It was only two weeks. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I'm going to turn this podcast off. I didn't even realize. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah, no, I had, a, I had an opportunity to, to go somewhere by myself in France. Um, yeah. And just bring, and what happened on the way over, I stupidly put my laptop in my main bag. Yeah. And the magnets or whatever they have in the scanners wiped my laptop. So I got there with my laptop oh, thinking I was going to write. It was a really stupid thing to do. And yeah. uh, no, nothing but my notebook and myself and time to think. And I'd just gone through a big breakup in terms of a relationship and the, you know all of that and yeah. I was at a point in my life where I was kind of thinking that I had nothing to lose so what was I going to yeah. do next you know I kind of um was back in my parents I um yeah it was just kind of one of those moments where I needed to get some space so actually having the laptop breaking on the way over was great because when I got over there it was just sort of me and my thoughts and the sunshine which was nice too I was very lucky yeah. um and when I was over there, I, I th there was something from the, the master's course that really stuck with me. It was about knowing your own voice and knowing what you sound like. Yeah. And 
I could never really pinpoint how my writing came across. I could read somebody else's and think that's the way, uh, like, you know, that's the genre they're in or, you know, that's what they're strong at. But when I read my own stuff, I couldn't get a handle on where I fit or who I was. And I think that probably played into the fact that I was transitioning in terms of what I was doing in my personal life anyway. And, and, um, just like life in general. So I sort of parked the writing. I decided to to come back to it again yeah. because I knew, and on another hand as well, while I was figuring all that out, that out about myself, I thought I was going to have to wait for producers to come back to me about my ideas. And yeah. that's a very long time to wait when you're, when you've, you need to have money coming in and mm. all of that and to get feedback, like it's not quite hitting the mark or, you know, and then you're starting again. So yeah. I, I, kind of just made a decision that I wasn't, I didn't feel strong enough in my own writer's voice to, to really go out and sell it. But I knew that I loved working creatively in, in that way with writers. So producing sort of seemed like a great way to use the skills that I had in terms of assistant directing, production management, and all my onset experience and contacts. And then also the creative stuff where I had trained in uh, cinematography and directing and writing in college and so they all kind of came together in in the role of producing and um it was and it was at that sort of I think it was in the second week I was on that trip in France um I got sent my name is Emily the the script that's on oh my god okay something like that it was like when I came back it was pretty much immediately around that time um and that script was one of the best scripts I'd read in the few years that I'd since I've been in um, college doing the masters and I'd read a huge amount of scripts in that in in that course and this one really stood out to me so I just decided I wanted to do it. And when you read a script like that were you going was there any part of your brain that was like oh I could never write that script and that's why I need to (laughs) like or 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 was there a sense of like oh no I could do that? No I I wasn't I suppose I was an open book I wasn't trying I wasn't trying to do anything my, myself. I, I wasn't. Um, I wasn't trying to. I, I knew, like in my heart, that uh, I wouldn't feel confident in anything I was going to write at that point in my life. Yeah. I wasn't. I. I. I, I just wasn't sure what my voice was, and I wasn't sure. I suppose what I wanted to say yet. Yeah. Um, and I knew I liked certain kind kind of types of films and. Um, I was drawn to certain aspects of other stuff and I knew that I could give really solid feedback to people yeah. on their work because people um, would be very grateful of, of things that I, I would have steered them towards or said to them about their, their work. So I knew I was good at that aspect. Yeah. Um, so I kind of felt that I needed to grow up a bit or um, just learn a bit more about myself before I went back to writing, actually. so. Yeah. Yeah. The, the voice thing sorry because I want to come back to my my name is Emily but I've we were talking about this in another podcast I think I was talking to Nick Lee about it and he was saying it's taking him years to find what his kind of voice is now he's started as an actor and he's been doing writing for the last few years can you even pinpoint with somebody what did it like is it just that kind of is it just that x-factor thing like the goal just where people are like oh it's just a thing it's a you know, can you pinpoint with someone what their voice is or is it very easy to to see with other people? Because I always struggle with that when people are like, your voice, I'm going, oh, no, I don't, I don't know what that, I don't know what my voice is. No, I don't, you know. For me, like for my, my own voice, for writing, my writing mm. voice, 
Um, I always found that when I had written something and then I came back to it a few years later, I'd read it and go, God, that's where I was then. You know, that's who, that's where my mind is at then. And that doesn't feel like me now. And I suppose that's yeah. how I'd, how I, where I'd start with my own voice is that I was reading it and I wasn't feeling like um, it was saying what I wanted it to say, or it wasn't communicating the story that I wanted it to communicate. Um, no matter how much uh, research or um, work I did with the plotting or the characterization, it just wasn't landing in yeah. the way that I was thinking. So I, I knew that I, there was something kind of missing. Whereas when I'm reading writers now who have a very strong voice, it just, when you're reading their script, um, is it just a very strong through line of tone mm. and uh, an awareness of how the characters um, come across, you know, that yeah. each character isn't just a different version of the writer them in terms of their, their own tone, tone of voice. They're, the characters are very uh, thoroughly realized as individuals, you know, and that they mm-hmm. can craft that sort of a, um, a script um, some some writers who I would say don't have as, as strong a voice might write a script where everybody in the script just sounds like the same person or yeah. um, the story might lack a sense of awareness. Like it's sort of like a, an imagining of a world rather than a lived experience of a world. So um, that's actually something for my writing was I was writing a story about a teenage girl and her father who's a photographer. And I was writing all about burgeoning sexuality basically and how a father's role impacts on a on a on a girl's perception of herself and um yeah. and all of that kind of tricky stuff <laughs> yeah well, know, very interesting so, like very yeah, yeah, yeah. heavy you know so yeah. um so like and, and again it was ended up being too heavy for what I actually wanted to do you know yeah um and uh and so this is what's going to happen now in this podcast because I, I keep trailing off these days. So I'm so tired. And <laughs> the point was in the first place. <laughs> oh no, no, I'm also so tired. I can't even remember where I was asking you either. Um, um, oh, um, about sense of the voice and kind of where that kind of comes from. And yeah, yeah. And I yeah, think- oh no, I was going to say, cause I remember it, like there was uh, something I was writing and someone was kind of going, um, there was two, two kind of co-leads, of course, because I couldn't just make it normal and easy for myself and straightforward. So I was like, two leads. and But one of them I had in my head that that's the one I would play. Okay. So that character was so much more well-rounded and a character. And the other person was like, oh, I was like, I don't care about her because I'm not playing yeah, yeah. her. Like, <laughs> so selfish. Yeah. Uh, like, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's so I definitely think I can definitely see that about the, the, vo- the voice for sure. Yeah. And... Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a but uh, yeah, I don't know. With writing, it's for me. I'm having a love hate relationship for sure with it at the moment. Yeah, because and as well the time. I think that you you know the way. Well, with actors are always so uh, encouraged to kind of like yeah, right, make your own stuff and all that kind of stuff. And it's like yeah, but 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 writing is actually a skill in itself, and it needs to be given the respect. And if I'm busy shooting something and then also looking after my baby, I can't really have the time. I don't really have the time to kind of scribble something down. It would be scribbled down and probably pretty bad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's it. And it's kind of, 
I, I feel like that too, that maybe in time I'll come back to writing. Right now, mm. um, the space that will be required for it just doesn't exist, you know. Yeah. Um, but I do have some ideas that, that all through my last, or through the last three years, has just hung around in my head. So yeah. I feel like that they're, they're trying to get out, you know. So maybe, yeah. maybe when well, there's a bit, space, a bit more sleep. <laughs> it's uh, yeah exactly um it's like the elizabeth gilbert i'm always mentioning her because uh i I love her i love her basically um but what is that thing we're saying about catching a uh, there was a poet she used to say she used to catch a poem it was yeah. like she would hear the last line of it and she'd mm-hmm. almost run home to catch it and yeah. write it down yeah. and i think if yeah if there is an idea that's been banging around in your head and that hasn't been done yet mm-hmm. I'm always like oh that needs to be done because you yeah. know like if it's sometimes you see that it's someone else has caught that idea and you just uh-huh. have to go okay yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you've done that that's fine <laughs> that's happened to me a couple of times uh, so. like with your voice as well it's 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 difficult because you're getting feedback from so many different sources and many different people are giving you opinions on your writing yeah. you know so it's yeah. hard to choose what's what's right for your and I think that comes down to the confidence and your own strength of voice and knowing what it is you're trying to say because I think that was my problem mainly when I was doing the masters was I took everything every single tutorial yes every single script editor that read the script said and I, I tried to do everything and ended up losing all sense I think I wrote three different films in the entire year yeah. Um, but that in itself is a learning curve in terms of how I work with writers now because, you know, you have to give a writer room to figure out what it is they're trying to say, you know, yes. and rather than just coming in really heavy handedly and saying something like strip all the darkness out of that script and just focus on the characters. I mean, that can, that can, that threw me in my script was because I actually, I think I, I write in with a kind of a dark sensibility actually. Yeah. And, be told to strip that out threw me into into a bit of a, a loop yeah. you know well that's you're stripping yourself of your voice because if that's how you write yeah. it has that little sense yes that's totally how that's happened to me um uh on something I was writing where I just got to, there'd be sometimes I'd go back and I'd, I'd read a page and be like that's not that's not my writing and it would be basically just the notes that I'd been given I'm really good with notes I'm so yeah. good at getting notes <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's what makes me great as an actor on set or whatever. <laughs> if someone gives me a note, I can take it, I can do it. So I do that with my writing, but it then just loses all sense of what I was trying to say, yeah. what my what my voice was. And I remember uh, one time, uh, yeah, I remember a couple of notes, things like, you know, oh, that's, that's uh, you know, that's coming across this way. And I was like, oh no, but it's, and then I try and do the exact opposite. And I realized, yeah, that I was going, no, it, 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 over there where I was, was going in the direction. It wasn't there, but now I'm going in the opposite direction and that doesn't feel right. It's so yeah. interesting. It's so, <laughs> sorry, it is like, because I haven't spoken enough about writing yeah. podcasts. So I'm like, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm like, so now I'm like all in. Um, and, but with the, when you got the script, so you were saying you got the script from My Name is Emily. Yeah. So that was such, oh my God, like a huge like well a huge achievement from beginning to end but like what a what a fucking starting point like you know what I mean like what a like that was the first feature for Kennedy films wasn't it okay so like you you I know you got you probably got funding elsewhere but you also crowdsourced for some of it and um 
yeah, I guess you can speak. You'll probably speak about it better because Simon, the director, was uh, was uh, had uh, motor neuron disease. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, just I suppose tell us a bit about that, and I'll 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 interject because it's so huge. I don't want to not do it justice. So I guess yeah, because I remember like at the beginning you were you you were like oh here's some badges like for my name is Emily and you're getting loads of press and we're trying everyone was like promoting it and funding it and. The badges are great, actually. Yeah, I have one. It's it's in one of my writing books there in the back, (laughs) outside the sweat box here in the attic. uh, One of my books for writing was uh, it's on the front of it, so that's why I remember it so clearly. Oh, that was it was a great experience. Um, I was sent the script. My name is Emily, and um, I looked up the director Simon Fitzmaurice, and he directed two short films called Full Circle and The Sound of People. And The Sound of People had gone to Sundance, um, and both of them had won loads of awards so I I loved the script first and foremost and then um saw his shorts and he was just a, just such a beautiful filmmaker and such a talent um and then um I actually didn't really understand fully you know when you're just not in the world I suppose of disability mm. um I didn't really understand what having motor neuron disease meant when I when I was reading about him I, I saw that he had a disability but I wasn't I suppose that you have to wait until you fully until you meet somebody to really understand what it what it means and when I met Simon he was in his office um, and how he communicated and how he had he'd started the script typing with his hands but he had finished the script um, typing with his eyes on an eye gaze computer um, so motor neuron disease is sort of like a deterioration of your bodily functions so um, you lose a bit the ability to walk or you might lose the ability to pick things up and then your speech goes and ultimately you can't breathe on your own. So uh, he was breathing with the help of a ventilator and how he communicated was through eye gaze technology. So um, I just thought that was really cool, like that he had done that, you know? Yeah. And he just had such spark in his eyes when I met him. I mean, he was yeah. in a house with five very young kids, um, all under the age of, I think, eight or something when I met him first, um, and twins, twin babies at the end. And there was a, a dog running around and Ruth, his wife, just so lovely. Um, and the whole house was so warm. Um, and he, like Simon was just, a young fit guy you know with this awful disease so he had when I met him first he was still quite strong looking and you know um and I just thought you know like filmmaking is a pain in the hole (laughs) 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 regardless regardless what way you look at it like it's all a struggle so I mean um I just sort of figured one more hurdle really um and you'd you'd figure it out I mean it really was just all about the creative expression and what he had done and how that script had really spoken to me in a time when I was kind of in a bit of flux in my own life um so yeah we just started on on the path like I, I hadn't financed a feature film so um I was recommended to uh, speak to Leslie McKim and Jackie Larkin and Newgrange Pictures who are two phenomenal producers and mm-hmm. 
I myself and Simon were just so lucky at that time to like they loved the script and they had space to do it mm. so and, and initially they came on as executive producers but I was so inexperienced and uh, didn't know my way around the financing world um, beyond putting applications in but just really what it takes to raise the kind of money that we were looking for because the budget the minimal level we were looking for was two million to to get the, the film made, and you could never raise that out of one country. So mm. they had the you know co-producer contacts in other countries and things like that to to harness for it. So we then ended up producing the film together, and um, and for my part in terms of the financing, we did the I well we we all did it together really the the crowdfunding campaign. Um, for to raise the gap in the budget to to allow Simon to be on set, so we had the kind of basic budget for just filming with a crew and yeah. you know a regular director, and then we had the costs to get a, a disabled director onto set and what that might mean, and obviously you're never going to have enough money for that, but that's what we were trying to raise um, two hundred thousand and we hit one hundred and ten thousand in oh it was one hundred and twenty thousand actually in the end um, <clears throat> in thirty days so. In 30 days. Oh God, I didn't even realize it was that short a time. Yeah. That's incredible. I think I lost my voice and just was so sick. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so, the sheer but, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I learned so much from Leslie and Jackie. Um, like we, like building that kind of a budget was no mean feat. And to do it in, we were all very conscious of, um, Simon's condition obviously and we just you just never know what's going to happen so we were trying to get it made as quickly as possible and um, I think it was in the space of about two years which is very unusual for a, a budget a film of that level you know to raise that kind of money so yeah and was there ever an option that he wouldn't be on set like as in that someone else would kind of direct it and he would oversee it in some capacity or was this kind of like it was just no option he had to he had to yeah, be on set directing it. With COVID, like, it really makes me think uh, just about Simon a lot with how everybody's doing things remotely because we did look at Simon being at home um, and remotely working with the set. So having that kind of four or five G connection to to something on set, you know, where he yeah. could watch what was happening. And I mean, directors of commercials do it around the world where they are directing stuff in the middle of Africa and they're in America or whatever. Yeah. Um, but we just didn't have the, was, I think the budget and then also just the capacity in Ireland. Um, I remember we were talking to Wicklow Broadband at the time and lots yeah. of tech companies and trying to figure out could we make that sort of thing work. But ultimately, we did have a support director in Liz Gill, who was a phenomenal woman. Um, she had directed films before, but uh, she was sort of that unique personality where she could put her own creative vision for it not so much to one side but that she could um allow Simon to put his print on the film if you know what I mean like like she took everything he said she was she was also an AD I think she's a producer now um so she had been always working with directors too I think in in her career um because we, we talked about many different directors and we kind of concluded that it would be really hard to have somebody who had a very strong idea like yeah. for example, like having Lenny Abramson beside Simon you couldn't really have him there and not and not be Lenny's film yeah so of course be very unique in how they were going to approach that partnership and Liz was amazing she really 
she really gave it her everything. You know, she was tireless. And I mean, when you think about how we all work with emails and, and all that sort of stuff, like yeah. um, we all fly off one sentences to each other saying, asking questions and for Simon to open one of those emails and to answer that question takes a lot of time. So, you know, Liz was really invaluable in terms of answering questions from the crew and, and all of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a huge task, but great team. <laughs> would like would you? This is what I think you. This is my perception of you. I always think you're quite heart led, like you know. And is that kind of, is that how you approach your work? Because I really genuinely think a few. I th- I'd say there's other producers. Well, I'm sure there was, but I'm like, there's a lot of other producers that would just go, no, that's too hard. Sorry, I can't. But I feel like you, if you see something in a, in a piece of work you'll be slightly harsh overhead. Would that like, would that be accurate? <laughs> <laughs> to the detriment of my pocket. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I just don't have the patience. Life is too short, I think, to, um, to, and I mean, I haven't produced um, anything since then um, in terms of I am producing and developing things, but <laughs> Like, I don't want to just spit out loads of different content and format stuff um, if I don't feel like it's really good or that I really love it. Um, so that's what I hope I can continue to do. Um, yeah. And in terms of, <laughs> with My Name is Emily, um, so like, obviously that came out and what, like, I mean, in terms of, well, were you were you happy when it came out? Were you kind of like, was it was it all worth it? And I don't mean in the like, or or was it one of those things where it was like, oh yeah, like it was like it was it was a huge success like for the company or whatever, but it may not have gotten the same success, um, uh, in the cinema or, you know, what like how did it or did just kind of the pleasure of having it? I don't know any of the numbers on my name is Emily. I'm just asking, but as in like it was the pleasure of doing it, like or or were you just exhausted <laughs> yeah it's, it is a bit of a, um it's exhausting yeah but it was such a, 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 a an amazing feeling to be in a cinema with Simon watching his film yeah. um, and <clears throat> uh, it was um unreal to go to Toronto Film Festival and have him there and watching his film and being able to go on a plane yeah. you know um in his condition and, and go over there and, and enjoy it he wrote a really good piece for the Irish Times about it that you should look up because it's just it's just lovely um, it, no, there was always just a feeling of just joy and happiness that it was. I think um, Simon had to make compromises in terms of his vision for the film, um, and in some of the, in some aspects, you know, uh, we didn't have any time on set, you know, to take loads of different. Like he was also a first-time feature film director, so yeah, you can imagine the nerves of that, and then being on set with a crew, and you can't physically move either. So we couldn't run in and out to the actors and go, "That was brilliant what you just did there," or yeah, you know, like having a director that can go out and be the energy and kind of you know all that sort of stuff. So that was tricky for everybody, cast and crew and and everything. Um, so and then the communication thing was hard as well, but um. So there were, there were times when, and it happens with every 
uh, low budget film, you just have to make decisions that you weren't happy with on the day or that, you, you know, you have to just go yeah. with things. So I think, I don't know what the film would have ultimately been like if Simon had been able-bodied, but it is what it, it, it's, it's a beautiful film that I'm really proud of and really proud to have produced and I love it. And I think Simon loved it and Leslie loved it. And um, we were just really proud that we had achieved it, I think, and um, just really proud of Simon and, um, yeah, because the last time he would have been directing something, he would have been totally able-bodied, wouldn't he? Yeah. Was that like how must that must just feel so? Uh, that's amazing. Like you know, because it must just feel so hard. <laughs> like to for all of your instincts, like all of those instincts that you have, and your and your body's just not playing ball. It's just like yeah, he's a very he had a very strong mind, very single-minded person, and you know, um, his job was to just look at the monitor and give us a response to it on set and he just when everything was crazy around him he just was that that um you know i suppose solid uh center to it all he just he had his eye on the monitors while we were filming and just really focused i suppose is the word i'm looking for um and he didn't have he didn't have the headspace or the time to have anything else you know, the, any of the of the noise that other that other people might have, you know, like yeah. kind of insecurities or doubts about stuff. He just had to be single minded and focused on what he wanted and to make sure that that was what he was getting across to everybody, you know. Um, um, but it was, yeah, it was difficult. I'm sure it was difficult for him, you know. Yeah. And it's it's not yet dark. The documentary kind of yeah. did that, that. So that came out after My Name is Emily? Um, well, we were filming or around that, the same time. Yeah, it was no, it was after it. It was just oh, yeah. after. Yeah, um, that was something we were filming the behind the scenes, and just uh, you know, it was something that we felt was a good idea to capture just the 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 task of shooting or directing a film when you're completely physically incapacitated, and um, yeah, we were just going to make it kind of about his his goal towards making my name is Emily, but then he while writing the film and directing the film, um, he wrote a book called yeah. It's Not Dark, which is all about his experience with um, learning he had motor neuron disease and how that impacted his life. And it was just this beautiful insight into his mind and how he was feeling. And that then became the sort of spine of the documentary. So yeah. we had a narrator read the, the book and we put down then with interviews with his wife and his family and we just pieced together his life towards making My Name is Emily. And I mean, a lot of people look at that film and they think it's about disability, but really it's about a love story between him and his wife. And it's yeah, cool and it's, it's uplifting. Um, um, it really is because it, uh, like their, their, their story is quite powerful to be able to kind of overcome that and have all those children as well (laughs) you know like it's like it's incredible because I'm going when you were saying even about going to their house and all the kids like running around I'm going oh that's like that holds more weight for me now than it ever did because I'm going oh my god I only have one running around and two able-bodied people there and sometimes it's still a struggle (laughs) you know like I know, and his wife Ruth is obviously phenomenal, and she's written. She's a writer, obviously in her own right, and she's written her own book. And um, you know, she's she's an amazing woman. So um, they're both two very unusual characters, I think. Yeah, 
And so he, so Simon passed away a few, a couple of, I don't, I'm not sure when he passed, I'm not sure. 17. Yeah. 17. Yeah, in October, yeah. How, like, without going to, well, just to ask it, like, how does that feel? Because I feel like you were so instrumental in a very pivotal point in his life, something that like he was, he really wanted to do and you almost helped him. I mean, you, yeah, like helped him give birth to, to, to something, you know, his, his creation. And so how did that, is there a sort of a bittersweet, you know, when someone passes away like that, you know, you know, it's happening. Um, but yeah, what, like how, how did that feel? Obviously it was very sad, like, but yeah. uh, like it, it tied up in that. I'm just trying to kind of Ooh. get into what, what, what that is. Is there almost like, is there a piece because you go, well, I helped that thing or is there still a, is there still a like, oh shit, we could have done more. You know? oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's always the, yeah, we could have done more for sure. Um, yeah. And I nearly feel like if he had, been, if he was still around now, I'd be doing little short films with him or, you know, something yeah. like that, you know. Um, um, yeah, it was very sad. It was very complex because um, I met him at a point in my life where things were changing and I was trying to figure out where I was going next. And, and we kind of, um, yeah, it was just a, a really um, fast time, really amazing time. It just... Like when I look back on it now, it's just, there's so much happened in such a short space of time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just, I, I just, I do, feel, I feel very sad that I can't sit down and have a whiskey with him in his, in his room, in his house where um, he watches his movies or, um, or just kind of reminisce with him about how crazy that was being up on a cliff, like in the middle of September filming with you know, a mad crew all around. Um you know, um, and I do think about him often and I, I think, um, yeah, I, I obviously would have loved to have continued that relationship and, and like all of that. Um, and I do feel proud that we, all of us as a team got his film made, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's something I'll always feel proud of. Um, but I also feel very grateful that he, that, you know, that it came to my lap and that, um, and that I got got to do it, you know. Yeah. Um, I, like, you know, it, it helped me with my career as well. You know, it wasn't it it wasn't just about getting Simon's film made. It was my first feature film too, and I learned so much um, from the experience and from working with Leslie and Jackie. And um, so it really shaped me in terms of how I now produce and how I, how I work with people. Um, it was a really intense, steep learning curve, you know. Yeah. It was quite, yeah, it was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot for a first feature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in terms of that kind of turning point, because there was, this, so like that turning point when you were, I feel like you turned 30 at that point as well, did you? Would that be accurate? Because I, uh, I just remember. I, I turned 30. Oh, yeah. It was around, yeah, it was like you, it was around that time that yeah. you, that, that, that there, was, you would, there was a relationship breakup and then you went and you were doing writing and then you set up this. I mean, was that a, and you were, oh yeah, as you say, you were back in your parents. Yeah. So like, was that just this massive, was, was that just that real ground zero point in mm. your life? Because I feel like I had one of them when I came back from London, for sure. Yeah. Where yeah. you're sort of like back in your old room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And yeah. what, <laughs> <For sure. laughs> can you even remember that time or does it feel so far away from you now? Um, well, I mean, like I'm now 38 and I've had two kids and I live miles away from there now. Yeah. <laughs> I've had, yeah. And you know, there's just, um, yeah, it was, uh, but in terms of like, yeah, like it was a complete, I had, I was on the dole. I was living in my parents. I was, um, I didn't know if any of the decisions I just made in my life were the right ones. I just, like you were saying earlier, was following what my heart was saying and kind of thinking that it was probably that moment in time, like, you know, I'd no kids and, um, I just felt like if I didn't do it now, I was never going to do it, you know? Yes. Yeah. So, um, so I just went for it really at that point. Um, I just decided that, you know, like you've got, uh, you've got all your work experience on set. You are, you know, where you're kind of thinking about in terms of your own creativity. And this is the time now to just kind of go for it on your own. If, if you're going to go for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. And loads of people, I find loads of people in their kind of late 20s coming up to 30. Not, you know, not everyone, but always seems to have these huge life shifts. And it is that thing of like, well, if I don't do it now, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to trail a lot, keep going as I am. And so it's a good testament that you do follow your heart because it's very, (laughs) yeah, it's very kind of clear that you do. Um. (laughs) And in terms, and so in terms of kind of following your heart, what would kind of success, what is success to you? Because there's such varying degrees for people. Like mm. the ultimate success for you, is it like uh, winning the Oscar? Or is it kind of like what, what, like how do you see for, like what, yeah, how do you know you're successful? Or do you even feel oh, successful? That's a good question. Um, because like, you, uh, yeah, like I was saying earlier, you really learn an, an awful lot about yourself when you have kids and, and the empathy that you develop for other people and their situation and mm. all of that. And I feel like success to me would be to, to be able to make a living out of what I do, like a proper wage, you know, mm. and to have a good balance with, with home life. And it's really boring sounding. Yeah. Um, but like, hopefully something I make at some point wins accolades like that, but it's not really what the goal is. Um, I mean, like you, you do want to achieve um, the best you can, you can achieve, but really I think if you're going to have a life in um, a career like this, uh, a filmmaking career, it's, I think one of the hardest things to strike a balance between family life, work life, your mental health, your physical health. Mm. Um, and so success to me would be to find a way to make this life sustainable, you know, um, yeah. as a mother, as a, as a producer and as, as someone who wants to be creative and to make, um, make good stuff, you know? And um, so that's really it. Like it's kind of, and to make things that I really believe in and really feel are trying to say something um different or or even just things that are entertaining you know something that'll make you laugh or that'll add something to the world (laughs) yes in this very dark world at the moment (laughs) so it's funny though how it changes I don't know if you were like this but like I I definitely would have been like well when I was very young you know oh I want to be on this thing and I want to be here and I want to win this thing and how weirdly and I've spoken about it to other people on the podcast how weirdly it changes that like it gets stripped 
right down to the basic core of like, I just want to make good things that mean something and be able to just make a living from it. I'm not asking to be a millionaire, but I'll be a millionaire. Thanks. You know, world, if, if that's what you, if that's what's required of me. Requires, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's funny how it like, it kind of strips away. Um, and I've a kind of a final question because coming up to, um, I have to go back to your beautiful baby. Um, <laughs> but, uh, something I ask everybody and it's quite open-ended. So it's, it's, it's fine if it's quite a long-winded answer. Mine usually what? are. Um, <laughs> but what, what does kind of creativity, what does creativity mean to you? Um, what does it mean to me? Yeah, I loved your facial expression. <laughs> Go watch the YouTube video, people. <laughs> did I make a weird face? <laughs> yeah, you did a real like. Right. Okay. Like, here we go. I got. I've come so far, and the stupid cow asked me this question. <laughs> uh, um, was that my bitchy resting face? No, it was, just, it was just like a weird glint. I was like, ooh, I've, ooh a challenge. <laughs> what does creativity mean to me? It's so funny because it's sort of like um, just a partner that's with you all the time, isn't it? It's just yeah. always there. So it's just a part of you that is, um, it's, it's at the moment for me, it's kind of constantly nagging me because I'm not getting to um, explore the ideas that I have. So it's sort of like this little voice um that won't go away yeah <laughs> so I have to listen to it um it's 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 a I feel so lucky that I have an imagination because at any moment you know whenever I'm breastfeeding the baby and staring off into the distance or thinking about the things I have to do I can start thinking about a story or I can start thinking about a script or a script that I'm reading or you know and I can think and take that moment to really imagine where it could go um, and so using, it's almost like a meditation, you know, yeah. being, having that sort of mind where you can be uh, creative with stuff. And, um, and I really hope I always have it, you know, and I don't want to yeah. lose it and I want to use it. And I feel that everybody, if they f- have those sort of voices in their heads, <laughs> <laughs> should, I suppose, listen to them. Um, and try your best to 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 do justice to them because I would hate to think that you know I would go about my my business and my life and never really come back to writing again um, or that I wouldn't ever paint again because I love painting too yeah um, that life would get too busy for for those sort of things so I think it's sort of like I, I think for me, um, it's probably like exercise, you know, you have to make the time for it. So, yeah. and for your own mental health, you should just, you should make sure that you do it, uh, have a bit of, uh, have some moments of it every single day. And I'm lucky in that my job does allow me to do that every single day. Yeah. I don't really know if that answers your question. No, it does. It's, and it's funny because everybody, <laughs> I love the question because everybody says pretty much st- like says the same thing but everyone says it in a different way which I always find so fascinating um and it's because it's like you, you it's the place where you lose all sense of time it's yeah. it's part of you it's something you feel so lucky to have you know and uh but but how I, I love how everyone describes it because it makes me be able to refine how to describe it myself because I'm always like it's so I can't describe how yeah. how great it is and I get that as well about the niggly <laughs> like the weird the weird stalker 
<laughs> stalker <laughs> ex-boyfriend is niggling there the whole time going like that idea though that idea yeah. though <laughs> you're going oh um, which yeah hopefully there'll be there'll be more time as the as uh yeah as life goes on and then it'll be at the right time as well I always feel like the the stuff that's coming at the moment is the right stuff for now and then you know you know that's what I, I sort of feel about um having children and working as a producer at the same time, like it's really intense right now because they're so small, but I don't see this as it being the way it is forever. Do you know? And I think that it'd be great if the film community as a whole could see parenting and parents who are in, in the business, you know, that like while a certain point might be intense and that you might have to take on less stuff and all of that for a little while, it's not going to be the way it is forever. And you know, we all love what we do, hopefully. And like, yeah. it's, um, I mean, it's a privilege to do what we do as well. Um, yeah. And nobody forgets that either. But uh, yeah, like you say, everything happens at, at when it's supposed to and at the time that it, that it works for you. Yeah. Mm. Oh, thank you so much, Catherine. <laughs> I'm so glad we got to chat. Yeah, me too. I don't know if any of that helped. <laughs> no. I think it'll help loads of people it's so your your story actually is so interesting and uh and I just think you're such a I think you're such an inspiration and such an inspiration to women and and mothers because you're so calm (laughs) you're just like yes just going about your you know like your your business um yeah no it's amazing and uh and that's what I and what I do love about you and what it always resonates with me about with you is that you you are heart led in the things that you do and the projects that you choose and that's why uh yeah that's why I respect you because I think You're that's so the nice only... Amy my god <laughs> 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 I'm gonna go off on cloud nine for the rest of yeah the oh do little counseling session yeah exactly yeah you're very welcome <laughs> yeah exactly i just say yeah, i build her back up now and she's grand. <laughs> thank you so much thank you so much thank you so there you have it Catherine kennedy what a beautiful person Catherine is um I have, well, stayed in touch with her since, you know, since I I met her all those years ago. And she's always just been so supportive and and so lovely. And what I love about this chat is, is kind of that conversation of like finding your voice and not being sure what your voice is and how there are other routes to finding your voice. So, yep, she might be you know, producing now, but uh, the, 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 the writing is always there and uh, something that she can come back to. And I think that's something that we just forget as, as artists because, you know, we think we have to have it all and we have to have it all now. And it's so comforting and reassuring to, to, to realise that it's all just happening in its own good time. Catherine is one in a million and having known her throughout part of her journey, and seeing what she produced um, or helped produce with My Name is Emily was just such a beautiful achievement and uh, something I'm glad to hear that she's so proud of too. So if you like the podcast, guys, please subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify and we're on YouTube. If you think someone else will get something from it, please share because at the end of the day, that's really the only reason why I'm doing this is hoping that someone somewhere get something positive from this so until next time have a great day guys